Vision has just the right mix of music, inspiration and fun to kickstart your day. Rise and shine with Fel and DJ. Weekdays at breakfast. Realfaith.org.au I was grabbed from behind by a police officer and I was arrested and I was put into a cell for a little bit. I was released and then when I got home, uh, I walked into a house that I was still welcome in and my dad actually took off his clerical collar and put it on the table and just said, Tim, I'm with you in this as your dad. Welcome to Real Faith, conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through, helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life and real faith with Eric Scadabo. When Tim Lovell was a pastor, his job description read like any other pastor, but it also included a few things out of the ordinary, like lifeguarding, teaching swimming lessons and pastoring rock musicians. This was because over the years, Tim had developed a unique model for a church to operate. Today, Tim will share the experiences that have shaped his life and his unique approach to ministry. Tim Lovell, welcome to the program. Thanks so much. Nice to be with you. Glad to have you with us. And you're joining us from your home on the Sunshine Coast. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Now, I'm interested to learn about how lifeguarding and teaching swimming lessons was part of being a pastor. But first, let's find out a little bit about your background and what led up to this unique role as a pastor. Where did it all start? Uh, Well, many years ago, uh, being in my my 50s now. I uh, I was actually raised in a uh, Christian home. My dad was uh, an Anglican minister mm-hmm. um, down in the greater Sydney area. And so I grew up on the pews of an Anglican church. But, you know, with a, a great love for my dad, uh, church just didn't really connect with me. I think it was part of the routine of what we did. Mm-hmm. And I had, I think, glimpses of faith journey along the way but in the end it really was a bit of a disconnect for me um, until I left Australia in my very early 20s and actually encountered Jesus when I was traveling I did the world travel thing Mm -hmm. let's go back to your teenage years what uh, was life like at home with an Anglican minister for a dad (laughs) my my dad is uh, great in fact He's, in a lot of ways, I don't know that he was your classic um, Anglican minister, but we we had a great relationship, uh, not perfect as any home would be, but I think as four boys, I'm one of those four. Uh, we were larrikins in our own ways, um, probably pushed at the extremes of a few different things, and uh, I just discovered a dad who in the tensions of pastoring a church community and raising four wayward boys, he showed an incredible amount of grace um, towards us, even, I think, in in the battle of reconciling pastoring a church and pastoring your sons. So even though you had this admiration for your father, you didn't want to follow in his footsteps and be a man of faith yourself. Uh, what's really interesting, I remember the conversation, but a fellow who lived up the street from us, one day I was walking along 
the footpath with him and he actually said to me so are you going to be the one that follows in your dad's footsteps and i was like there's no way there's no way i'm going to become a minister and uh it's funny i look back now and i think uh, i wonder what you know if god just sort of raised his eyebrows like we'll see <laughs> well maybe he knew something at that point yeah i think he probably did but my my dad was i mean i i remember times along the way that uh, he was incredibly gracious that that stick out to me and i know have shaped the way that i now do ministry or mm. live ministry and I, I i know a lot of people thought that he was probably lenient or whatever but my dad i think had an incredible grasp on grace and speaking of grace uh, yeah. you experienced some of his grace after you were arrested <laughs> on the evening news tell us about that well yeah i was um perchance by an event that was happening in sydney and it had to do with the legalization of marijuana at the time and i happened to lean into that space at that time in my life mm-hmm. and was handed some you know marijuana joint and handed it on to someone else and um i was grabbed from behind by a police officer and i was arrested and charged and it was just a you know i had no idea that it was as big a deal as it it was at the time but yeah i was put into a cell for a little bit i was released and then i was late and usually we had dinner together so i rang my home and i said hey you know dad i'm sorry i was working back and i just lied to him and he said tim it's already been on the evening news oh and wow I, <laughs> no getting away with that what, no exactly but when i got home uh, i walked into a house that i was still welcoming and my dad actually took off his clerical collar and put it on the table and just said tim i'm with you in this as your dad and he took off what i would consider any boundary or separation between what might be considered a religious role and that role of grace and love as a dad and I just, uh, I guess what I saw in that moment, looking back at it, I don't think I realized it right then, mm-hmm. um, but was the father heart of God who mm. doesn't distance himself from our difficulties, but leans into them and embraces us in them. Mm-hmm. So um, that has shaped a lot of the way I think I choose to love people as well. Yeah, you describe it as a revelation of the heart of God and his grace. Yeah. Wow, from your own father. That's that's a wonderful thing to learn from your father. Oh, absolutely. And he didn't just show it to us. I mean, we we were disciplined as well, don't get me wrong. I mm-hmm. I, I knew the hand of discipline because, you know, God also engages that, but he does it with this incredible measure of love and grace. But I also saw him live that way to people in the community, live it to my friends who were also often in difficult you know, places in life. But he, he loved them incredibly. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I have, you know, a time when I came to my faith uh, and I had seen that picture of that most people would probably see of Jesus with a little lamb around his shoulders and mm-hmm. bringing it back to the fold and I, I had a friend uh, that we used to get in a bit of trouble together. Uh, we had been affiliated also with the Sydney Skinhead Movement, which is, you know, a messy place to find yourself. But 
my dad never shied away from welcoming those kids in our home. And, you know, one night, one of those fellas uh, and myself ended up, you know, passed out drunk on someone's front lawn that belonged to my dad's church. And Mm. (laughs) my dad got the phone call and said, come and get your son off my lawn. Yeah. And I remember, uh, you know, I didn't know any of this was happening at the time. And I woke up, so it came to with my dad's hand on my back, lifting me up and getting me in the vehicle. But then I saw him walk off into the night. I saw him in the headlights of his car. He walks off into the night and comes back with my friend literally over his shoulder and my friends kicking and yelling and swearing at him. And my dad put him in the car and drove him home. And when I look back now and I, and I see that picture of a shepherd, however much in our culture, a man in a tunic with a sheep around his shoulders is a little bit distant. Hmm. And I, I, I realized, man, I saw that guy. I, yeah. I saw Jesus carrying my friend out literally out of the darkness and <laughs> gets him home safely. And <clears throat> so they're the sorts of things I, I saw my, my dad do. Yeah, what, what a beautiful picture of unconditional love because unlike the sheep that's just passive being carried by Jesus, yeah. this was yeah. a rebellious kid who's yelling at your dad <laughs> and he's still doing it. Yeah, yeah. and he's still carrying him. And yeah. then, you know, my friend turned up the next day at our place because he knew he was welcome and he's very... You know, not much pun intended, but sheepishly comes into the house <laughs> and he's just he's just like, Yeah, Mr. Lovell, you know, I'm sorry. And dad's like, That's fine. Come on, let's have a cup of tea and sits him down, has a cup of tea with him. Yeah. And you know, and, and I think sometimes we miss that that part mm-hmm. of the nature of God who will yeah. leave the ninety nine to go after the the one who, you know, is lost and bring him yeah. home. So I, I think in the ministries through the years that I've engaged in and had the opportunity to be involved in, that definitely has become a key theme of it. Mm -hmm. So it's really easy to understand how your father shaped who you are and your view of ministry. Let's go back to your own personal development. Apparently you went to a Leighton Ford crusade in Sydney and that had a huge impact on you? Yeah, years ago. And and I actually went because my dad asked me to go and out of respect for him and out of that relationship i was like yeah i'll, I'll go but i was i was pretty you know honestly pig-headed at the time and i was like you know i'm not i'm not here to answer any call or be moved i'm here because my dad asked me to come and mm-hmm. come as a family and but i remember as he began to speak on this prodigal you know i recognize now the spirit of god began to you know really speak to my heart and that that call of a father who was looking for his kid to return who'd mm. squandered his life and his blessing and um and it really began a, a call to me but i still had a mindset that i was going to fix myself i was going to quit the addictions i had at the time i was going to you know get my life in order and then it would all be okay and it just didn't and it it just almost got worse after that for a short period of time until I left Australia to try and discover, you know, what life meant. And I had a fella who was associated with Youth with a Mission who I spoke to. He was in Sydney um, at a similar time of the Leighton Ford Crusade, and I'd known him as a kid, and he had 
left Australia. He'd come to a faith in Jesus himself and had joined an organization called Youth with a Mission. And, uh, and he just looked me square in the eye and he said, Tim, you need Jesus. And however much I grinned and even laughed at the idea at the time, it just resonated with something so deep inside of me that I really needed Jesus. Mm. And, and so I left Australia and I traveled with, I met my brother over in uh, the UK and then we traveled in Mexico together. And uh, this, the thing that I found doesn't matter where you go, the same things are there waiting for you. Mm-hmm. And until you actually make a decision to surrender your, your life to Jesus, there really isn't a lot of liberty. Um, you tend to be bound to other things. And so in the end, he was in Colorado in the USA, this, this fellow with you for the mission. And I said, look, I'm going to go and visit him. My brother continued back to Australia. I went to Colorado and I, at his invitation, came and did a discipleship training school. And for me, that was a little bit of a last resort thing. I had this sense of, okay, if Jesus can do anything, I'm at the point I'm willing to, you know, even attempt that. And uh, it was during that time with you through the mission that I really, really encountered Jesus and, and he transformed my life. Our guest today is Tim Lovell, who's joining us from his home on the Sunshine Coast and is sharing his life journey with us. We've just heard how the Lord began to transform his life and the role his father played. Next, we'll hear more of Tim's story and how the events of his life shaped his unique approach to ministry. All that and more is coming up when we return right here on Real Faith. Looking for resources to grow your faith? Check out Vision Christian Store with books, movies, audio CDs, DVD resources and more. Plus, free delivery on orders over $50. See visionstore.org.au You're listening to Real Faith. Conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Scadvo, and today I'm chatting with Tim Lovell, who's joining us from his home on the Sunshine Coast. Before the break, we heard Tim's journey to becoming a Christian and the role his father played. Next, we're going to hear how his past experiences have influenced his unique approach to ministry as Tim continues to share his story. That ministry then connected me with a local church and I ended up in the leadership team on that local church after years of being there. And uh, yeah, began a whole new course of my life. Before you continue your story, I'm just wondering, mm. what was your dad's reaction when he found out his son had come home, so to speak? <laughs> he was, yeah, he was stoked. Yeah. He was, uh, yeah, and I, I, my dad is still alive, although he's in, you know, old age care. Mm. Um, you know, he still just has such a beautiful, simple faith. Mm. And um, my mum, before she passed away, had held on to the promise from Jeremiah that says, you know, it's, it's from the scripture that says a voice is heard crying in Ramah for her children are gone. But, you know, I hear that, you know, but the Lord says, don't weep for all your children will return from the land of the enemy. And she held on to that mm. as a promise for her own kids. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and right before her death, you know, all my brothers had come to a faith in Christ. 
So, oh, wow. Fantastic. Yeah. So it's really been an amazing journey for, for all of them. But yeah, my dad's very grateful for the grace of God. So continuing your story, we'll have to fast mm-hmm. forward to you become a pastor in Denver. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I was invited to, uh, with the local church I was attending, I began working with the youth group uh, in a voluntary state and then um, did that for a couple of years, ended up marrying my wife in that church. I was invited into a part-time staff role, which became full-time, which became, you know, leadership role. I was there for 18 years in the end. And um, then during that time, my passion for people just grew. I Mm -hmm. loved the young people in our community. I just served all over the place within the church and and in the community. And that's that's the thing that I began to realize is often my feeling, and it's not a criticism, but I feel like often in the church we're waiting for people to come to us. Mm-hmm. You know, we do invitational services and we do all sorts of things on our Sundays and, you know, provide things during the week where we can. But it's all this, you know, come to me and how do we get people to come rather than going, man, where can I find a voice in our neighborhood, in our community. Because I think as I began to understand more about Jesus, the more he went out of his way to mm. sit with people, yeah. eat with people, serve people. And it was always where they were. It's on you know hillsides and you know, at weddings and all over the place. So I, I began to probably live ministry out like that. I spent often more time in the local Starbucks than I did my own church office huh. because people weren't coming to my office. So I'd go to them and just build relationship with them. And along those lines, your church purchased the Colorado Athletic Club. Tell us about that. We had a school that was growing quite a lot and we needed to expand the campus and that came available to us and we purchased it. And I remember when, as part of the leadership team, I went and looked at it, I just had this incredible sense of, oh my goodness, we, if we maintain a part of this center as an athletic club, we can serve our community. We can become the community pool. We can become the community fitness. We can, you know, coach soccer, you know, you know, we can coach little league teams and our mm-hmm. school kids become coaches and swim teachers and lifeguards and had all this vision and I wrote this thing and in the end we didn't do it. We turned it into a school and and that was the original purpose. So there was no, you know, begrudging that. But it ignited something in me that began to ask this question of where is our place in not just finding doorways into our church building for people, but finding ways that we become servants of our community mm. and tangible connection points with their everyday life. Yeah. And so that that was really born in me. And although it didn't happen there, uh, probably just a few years later, we had this sense and the church sent us back to Australia where I was from. And I never thought I'd come back here. But, you know, looking back, you can see that God was really doing some unique things and uh, we came back to Australia, didn't know what for at the time. We just got on the plane and came with their backing. And through a series of events, ended up in the Good Life Community Centre at one of their morning gatherings. And we literally walked in and this vision that I had had in Colorado just came alive in this place that had already been built with a small gym and I learned a swim pool and a basketball stadium. 
So it just fit right in with that vision you yeah, had. Absolutely. It was actually the fulfillment of that. Um, uh-huh. But at the time, it was struggling to function because when people, often when people try and operate this model, um, the center is seen through the eyes of what is the cash resource that it's bringing into the church for ministry and how many people are making it into the Sunday service from attending this center. And I feel, and this is where I, I probably differ from different people's approaches, but I feel when we're looking at it like that, we're asking the wrong questions. Mm. Um, when we see it as a cash resource to the church for ministry, or we see it as a big lobby to just get people through so they can find their way into Sunday, um, uh, I think our emphasis can quickly end up in the wrong places. And where would you put the emphasis then? Uh, I, I believe it should flow the other way. I think the church, I think our resources, our time, our effort should as much be spent in that center um, as much as waiting again for them to find their way into the church. Like I don't mind where people meet Jesus so long as they meet Jesus. And mm-hmm. I've found myself over the years praying for people more in the cafe or around the gym or by the pool because that's where everyday life is happening. And when I encounter someone who's, you know, gone through a broken marriage or whatever, um, in the swim school, I'm not waiting to say, hey, maybe come Sunday because we're going to be talking about, you know, hope. You know, I'm just like, man, can I pray for you oh, yeah. right here? Yeah. And, and, it, and it just becomes an expression of mm-hmm. Jesus right in that everyday context. And yeah. like I could give you a story without using names, but um, I had a kid that I was teaching and his younger brother in a couple of different classes because I made myself a swim teacher. I went and got my credentials <laughs> uh, um, because I just saw it as an opportunity to literally be with people. And so I had this this family that I was teaching and they said to me, oh, you know, this is going to be our last lesson because, um, you know, the kid's dad has left and he's not going to pay for their lessons anymore and, um, um, you know, can't yeah. afford that. And and I just looked at this mom and, and I just said, hey, um, your kids don't need to leave because this is your place of belonging and you're not here because you're a resource to us. So when this lesson is finished, I'm going to hand you on to our swim school coordinator and we're going to sponsor your kids for the next year to come and do lessons. And man, she just bursts into tears and he's wow. like, what? I don't understand that. And it's, it's like, well, you've got to understand that you're not a resource to us. This is a resource to you. And if I can help, you know, carry your kids through this season of life, let's do that. Yeah. And, and it really just becomes a way to serve our community. And I have stories like that over and over and over again. Where we just where we give memberships away, and mm-hmm. or we give because it it's providing someone with refuge in a difficult season of life. And gym trainers, we find, are just as well informed as hairdressers about huh. where people's lives are at. Oh wow, yeah, that's that's interesting. It's a way to serve them. Mm-hmm. Now we started off this conversation today talking about your unique job description. That besides mm. the ordinary responsibilities of a pastor. You had some out-of-the-ordinary responsibilities like lifeguarding, which we're hearing about, teaching swimming lessons, which we're also hearing about, but then also pastoring rock musicians. Unfortunately, (laughs) we're running out of time, but can you talk about some of these other out-of-the-ordinary aspects to your position? 
Yeah, again, it it came from just loving. At the time, it was these kids. They were kids in a youth program that I ran, and uh, they wanted to do music. And at the time, I think predominantly our churches would say, well, get on the worship team or get on this. And, uh, and I just said to these kids, look, wherever you go, I'm going to be in the audience, you know, I'll be there. And, and a lot of them went in all sorts of different directions and not necessarily even Christian places. But I, I was always true to that. And I said, look, I, I will come. And so I'd go to their shows. And in the end, um, one of the bands made it into quite a significant place in, you know, in the world music scene. And they contacted me because I just walked life with them so much and said, hey, would you... Would you keep walking life with us and come and tour with us? And it, oh, it, wow. it's put me in all sorts of places in this world um, that I never would have expected, but they're places I believe Jesus would go, and so I, I willingly go as well. Well, I guess you could sum it all up by your philosophy that people matter. Exactly. People matter. And so we should find a way to make that a realistic statement for them to grab a hold of because we can say it all we like but mm. if our life doesn't actually communicate it um if they only matter in a sunday space or they only matter in a um you know a church context and and they don't have much standing until they get there and i think we miss the point and sometimes showing love means helping somebody learn how to swim yeah absolutely and sometimes that's the job description of a unique type of pastor <laughs> it is. Tim Lovell, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Our guest today has been Tim Lovell, who was the pastor of Good Life Church for 15 years. To find out more about that unique church that we've been hearing about today, you can go to their website, goodlife.org.au. That's goodlife.org.au. You've been listening to Real Faith. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join us again next time for more conversations about God working in the lives of people who put their faith and trust in Him. That's real people, real life, and real faith. Real Faith is a production of Vision Christian Media. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.